Well, hey, hey, what's up, everyone? Welcome back to another episode of the Amazing Seller Podcast. This is episode number 313 and session number 95 of Ask Scott. This is where I answer your questions here on the podcast, and I can't believe it. We're at 95. That means we've been doing this Ask Scott session for 95 weeks, 95 Fridays, which is insane to me that we've been going this long and the questions keep coming in. And I want to thank each and every one of you for doing that. I love hearing your voice. I love knowing who I'm connecting with on a personal level. I just love it. So keep them coming. You guys know that I love every part of answering these because I get to connect with you. So keep them coming. If you want to submit your question, head over to theamazingseller.com forward slash ask, and you can do that. You can ask a question there. One little thing I want to mention, if you are leaving a question, please leave your first name, where you're tuning in from, and uh, and a brief question. This will allow me to, well, address you personally, and uh, which I want to do, by the way, and uh, and then answer that question. So definitely make sure that you include that. Uh, one other thing I want to mention here before we jump into today's first question is the show notes. If you guys want to listen, or I'm sorry, if you want to read uh, instead of listen, or both, or maybe you just want to download the transcripts, whatever you want to do, they can be found over at theamazingseller.com forward slash 313 for this episode. Now, one more thing before we dive into today's first question is I wanted to give you, I've been trying to give you guys something that I have been thinking about for that week or maybe a thought or a word or a phrase. And this week, what I really want you to think about because it's something that I'm really thinking about, and that is staying in the flow. So what does that mean? Well, it means that you have to get started on something before you can actually get moving, right? So we have to get started. We have to commit to something. That's another big one. It's scary sometimes, right? We don't want to commit to something because then we're going to actually have to do the work, right? But then once you do that, you're going to start seeing results. And once you start seeing results, that's going to motivate you to keep going. And at the end of the day, we need to keep going, right? Even if things aren't working out as planned, we have to know that if we put in the work, we put in the time, we're going to learn from things, we're going to be able to keep moving. Now, the reason why I'm thinking about this really right now personally is January 3rd, I started, this is 2017, I started back up uh, in a program to really keep myself going fitness-wise. Now, some of you may or may not know, but probably going back two and a half, three years, probably even a little bit longer, um, I was in pretty good shape, almost bodybuilder state, uh, where I was, you know, I was doing okay, but I was a little overboard on that too. I was really, really dialed in, but also I was kind of annoying some people around me because I was always like, well, is there three and a half ounces of chicken there? Or is there six ounces? I, I need to know. Like I was really, really that dialed in. And I think that's a little extreme. But I also uh, seen that I was like locked in. But then for some reason, I got off of the track and, and I couldn't really get back on the track. Now, I'm not like this guy that's like so far out of whack, but I'm definitely nowhere near where I was then. And I want to get kind of back there, but not all the way. I just want to be in better shape. I want to I want to have a, a little bit of a better physique. I'm 44, right? I'm not getting any younger. I want to be healthier on the inside, like all of that stuff, right? So I had to commit myself 
And I didn't really know if I wanted to commit to a program because I didn't want to commit. I didn't want to have to check in almost like a job. I didn't want to check into that job every single day or every single week. Right. So it, you know, it, it was a, it was a thing I was battling internally. I was like, ah, I can do it myself. I'll just work out at the gym for four days and I'll be good. But what I decided to do is go back to my roots in a sense and kind of go back to what got me results in the past, right? We can always usually look back at our results and see somewhere where and how did this all kind of happen? Like if we look at our story, then again, going back to episode 300, where I kind of give you my entire story, like everything happened, you know, for a reason, but it also, it, it, it aligned me to the next thing. But I also seen that when I was successful in one area, it was because I was really focused on that one thing and I was constantly doing that one thing. Same thing goes with exercise, business, it doesn't matter. So just to kind of give you guys a little bit of an update, I'm 15 days in to this program called T25. Um, it's by Beachbody. I'm a big Beachbody uh, believer. They have great products. We have uh, on demand now where we can just watch any of the programs that we want. But I'm dialed in. I've got my calendar up on my little whiteboard here. I'm checking off the days, which is another powerful thing. As you as you go through something, you check it off, whether that's, your again, your business plan. If you have an hour a day that you want to work on something and you have a calendar that has that spot already marked out for you, but it's open box, and then you check that box off feels kind of good, right? So definitely, definitely do that. So staying in the flow for me, like right now, like my diet's been locked in. I mean, not crazy. I'm not eating like, you know, I'm not eating the snack mixes and the, and the Doritos and all of that stuff, which I love salty, snacky food. (laughs) That's one of my downfalls. Not that much into sugary stuff. I mean, I'll eat it, but for me, it's the eight o'clock you're watching gold rush and your hand is, or your arm is, is elbow deep in that bag of snack mix. I don't know if you guys can relate. If you can relate, you know where I'm coming from. There's nothing like it. Right. And then the next day you feel all guilty because you were, you know, you ate half the bag or all the bag in some, well, I have eaten whole bags of snack mix. Uh, I will go out there and, uh, and let everyone know that I love snack mix, but anyway, staying in the flow. All right. By by staying in the flow, that means that you're locked in. You've got days that you've been successful as far as like getting from one day to the other. That's part of being successful, too, is getting from one day to the other and then feeling good about that, not wanting to lose what you've already got, what you've already gained. Like that's powerful. It's really, really powerful. So put it up on a whiteboard or put it on a piece of paper, stick it to your computer for this week stay in the flow. But in order to stay in the flow, you got to get in the flow. And to do that, you have to get started. You have to commit to something. And then from there, you can measure the results. All right. That was very long. I didn't mean for it to go that long, but I just wanted to let you guys know that it's really, really powerful and something I'm experiencing right now in the health side of things or my health side of things, but it's still, it, it applies to business. And I, again, I have checklists and I have different target dates that I want to do this and that, and everything is kind of like outlined. Again, you can always change it, but I do like to have a map and a plan so you can execute uh, and get to that to that point. So, all right, so let's move on, all right? Let's, let's jump into today's first question, and I'm going to do my best to give you my answer, my opinion. I'm going to try to help you guys, all right? So go ahead and uh, sit back, relax, and let's go ahead and listen to today's first question. What do you say? Let's do it. Hey, Scott, this is Mark Thompson from the UK. First of all, massive thank you for all that you do. Actually, I found you just as I was about to pay a couple of thousand pounds for a course. Uh, and actually, you saved me that. Uh, so 
definitely owe you that cup of coffee. Now, my question is uh, about images on a listing. Now, let's say I'm looking at somebody's garlic press and it comes in grey, pink, blue and purple. When I look underneath the price, uh, just above the size drop down, there's little squares that has the colour. Okay, now these little squares, these images aren't uh, in the listing. Uh, and I'd like to use these little squares just to show the, the colour of my garlic press, but I can't quite work out how to how to add those little images with the colours. For me, the only thing I can get to show up is the image itself. Uh, I hope that makes sense. Uh, maybe I'll follow up with an email as well just to, to include some pictures. But uh, anyway, thanks again for all you do. Hoping uh, to, to hear you on a podcast soon with my question. That'd be great. Um, Anyway, thanks a lot, man. Cheers. Hey, Mark, thank you so much for the question. And it's a good one. And I'm not sure I've even answered this. I've talked a little bit about variations in the past, but uh, I think this will be a good one uh, because it is pretty powerful to be able to have those little thumbnails below your price. So this way here, you give people those different options. And for anyone listening right now, what Mark is talking about is if you've ever went to a listing and you see down below, you'll see different colors in these little thumbnails below the price. And what this will do is it'll allow you to see each one. Now, if you do a size, it won't show up like that. A size generally will be like a drop-down menu. So if you wanted to select a size, you would just click on that. You would not get the benefit of having those thumbnails down below. Now, if you had something that could be bundled, you could have that down below. Now, what you would have to do is, in, in a variation, you have to tell it what it is. In this case, you can just put color and if that color is different, but really it's not the color that you're selling, it's the package or the bundle, you could just classify it as a color. Uh, you know, that's how you can kind of get around that. But what I've done is I've taken uh, four different SKUs, variations, okay, of the main product, okay, and then from there, once you add that as four different color options, it also, and again, they're going to be different prices in most cases, but not always. Uh, if it is truly colors, then that's what it's going to be. It's going to be like, you know, color, you know, red, blue, yellow, and green, and it's going to show those. But what's nice about having prices is if you have a, a price that's like $9.97, but that's kind of like your way to get people to see that it could sell for $9.97, but then you have a bundle that sells for $29.97, that could lead people into the listing and then help them see down below that there's better options and you get more for that bundle or whatever. So hopefully that makes sense. But the part that you're asking about is how do you get that to populate? You're going to need the different variations under the parent. So the parent image isn't necessarily going to be the main, main image. It's going to be each variation. So those thumbnails will be the main image of the variation. So it's important that your variation image is the image that you want to display in that thumbnail. That's how it will work. And then your price will be included in that across the bottom. So this way here, people can see, uh, you know, that this one here is $9.97 and then the blue one is $13.97 and then the red one is $15.97 and so on. Okay. So that's how you'll get those different thumbnails to show up as different colors or I'm sorry, as, as, um, 
as actually displaying them versus it just being like a drop down. Because like I said, in a drop down, they have to actually click in. But if they go to your listing and they see that there's that there's four different options there down below, that's actually better in my opinion. So that's how you would do that, Mark. Uh, and again, you have to set that up as a variation. So your main listing would have to be, again, the parent, but then you're going to have the variations underneath that. And the variations are going to have their own set of criteria, their images. It's going to have uh, their their uh, title. It's going to have their keywords. It's going to have all that stuff. That's why we've talked about before, when you first set up your listing, even if you don't think you're going to have a variation, set it up as a variation, even if you only have one SKU, because then you can easily add variations down the line. So hopefully this has been helpful to you, Mark, and to anyone else that's thinking about this, but it's definitely a great strategy for when you have multiple SKUs under one parent item. So this way here, you can display that thumbnail. All right, so let's go ahead and listen to the next question, and I'll give you my answer. Hey, Scott, this is Ryan. I had a question in regards to PPC and how we know if we're making money on each sale um, and what the ACOS should be and how we can calculate that and know when we're still making a profit depending on what percentage it is. Thank you and have a good day. Hey, Ryan, thank you so much for the question. Thanks so much for being a listener too, by the way. I appreciate it. Uh, Okay, I'm going to try to answer your question. If anyone is not familiar with uh, Amazon PPC pay-per-click, I would uh, have you listen to episode 119. Uh, I'll probably be doing an updated one as well, but this one here is still relevant. It's, uh, It's going to explain exactly, you know, how you would set up like a quick start Uh, I call it a quick start campaign, kind of like where you can start mining for the data and stuff like that. So anyone that's that's wondering, that's new about the Amazon pay-per-click and sponsored ads, that's uh, the episode I would definitely go to as of right now. Um, But to answer your question is, and what I believe your question is, is how do I know what my profit will be or how do I know I'm still profitable running a campaign? Like what's my ACOS? Like what is that? And a good rule of thumb is, and again, it's going to depend on what you paid for your item, like what your margin is, right? So if you're 39% margin, well, then a 39% ACOS would probably be okay, right? Or 38, let's call it, right? Because you want to be a little bit under. Uh, So it's almost like that's your break even. But again, that's going to depend. The other thing that's going to depend on this a lot to me is we're looking at the surface level of of that keyword, right? So if we're going after stainless steel garlic press and let's say that we hit our 38% ACOS and we're like, okay, cool, we're profitable or we're not profitable, we're break even, that's cool. But what we don't know, and again, you can kind of look at your data on the back end or on your search term report and stuff and you can start to kind of see how many sales came from, from, uh, you know, pay-per-click and how many sales came from organic without pay-per-click, and you can kind of see that, but it will be kind of hard to see what keyword converted organically, uh, and I know some people have some some hacks out there on how to do this, but here's the deal. If you're spending the money on the keyword and you're ranking for that keyword now, there could be 
there could be a, uh, I guess, some some evidence there that that could be because you're bidding on that keyword and you're getting sales through that keyword. So what I'm trying to say is, even though you might not be profitable on paper on the pay per click on the back end, okay, in in your reporting, if you're making sales organically, then that is profit. So you'd have to merge those two together to get an exact an exact thing. So my rule always is, is in the beginning, I'm going to go as much as 100% because I just want to get sales, right? I just want to get sales. I want to get the data, right? But that's not forever. Then we have to start dialing it in. We have to say like, what's our magic number? Well, we might want to say, well, let's just go now to a break-even point and run it there and see how that does. And then if it can, if we can keep that ACOS to be 35 to 39% and I'm still pro or I'm, I'm break even almost profitable, but I'm getting, uh, I'm starting to rank for that keyword Then I may want to still push that. Right. And then from there I can start to, to kind of say, well, it's not worth even break even on this one because it's not helping me rank. Right. So you got to kind of look at that stuff. But then the other side of things is Let's say that you are just breaking even on that keyword, but it's getting you sales. The other thing that a lot of people don't mention is, is that sale, if you have an autoresponder or a sales backer campaign hooked up to that, you're also sending those people through to potentially give you a review or feedback, which can then help your account and your listing. So that's another part of just getting the sale. So a lot of people just want to look at, okay, I spent this, I made this, like I get it. But at the end of the day, you got to look, is everything profitable? Like, is the account profitable? And if you're spending way too much, if you're like, if you're like 60, 70 or a hundred percent ACOS, you know, that yes, then we got to look into that. We got to see what keywords are, are making that ACOS go up and which ones are actually, because a lot of times, and this is another mistake a lot of people will do is they'll set up an account with a hundred keywords in it. And then they'll look at the overall top level view of the category or of the campaign. And in that campaign, it'll say that you're 60% ACOS. But if they expand inside of there to see all the hundred keywords, you're also going to see that there might be two or three of them that are a 4% ACOS, but there's one that's a hundred percent ACOS. And there's another one that's 75% ACOS. So what do you do in that case? Well, you can either pause those campaigns or you can just lower the bid. So you're only going to pay five cents a click if you even get any clicks. So you see what I'm saying? We just we just uh, went ahead and we we just kind of tweaked and kind of pruned that that uh, campaign, and then we would let that run another week or two, and then we'd see if that ACOS has improved now overall amongst that amongst all of those keywords. Again, we can go on a whole nother uh, hour here, or we can go on for a whole nother hour here talking about pay-per-click, which, which we may do here um, in a future episode, uh, and I probably should get that on the calendar because I know that's a big topic and a lot of people struggle with that, but really in the beginning, it's keeping it simple and then understanding your margin, I think is another key thing, but then also thinking, are you in the launch phase? If you're in the launch phase, your budget will be a little bit higher. Um, your ACOS can be higher. And then you also got to be thinking about the sales that you do get is a potential reviewer or a feedback because you have those people that are being messaged through your autoresponder through sales backer, if you're using that. So I know that was long winded. Hopefully that helped. Uh, let's go ahead and listen to the next question and I'll give you my answer. Hey, Scott, this is Mike. I'm calling from New Jersey. Just wanted to say thanks for all the great information. Um, my question is, I'm looking at a potential product and everything checks out so far, the sales, the reviews, and um, the camel camel validation. And my question is, 
when I go, when I actually click on the product page, I notice that right now they're having a limited time, uh, special product promotion, um, going on. And I was wondering if that should be an automatic red flag. Should I immediately turn away? Um, just want to know what your thoughts on that were as far as deciding if it would still be a good product for uh, choosing as a first product. Thanks again, Scott. Take care. Bye-bye. Hey, Mike from New Jersey. What's up, man? Thank you so much for the question. Uh, kind of feel like we were neighbors uh, in in uh, past years. I was from New York. You were from Jersey. I've been to Jersey. Uh, so yeah, well, Glad to be neighbors, I guess, or past neighbors. Uh, anyway, thank you so much for being a listener and the question. I appreciate it. And I'm going to I'm gonna tell anyone right now that's listening that is saying, like, what's he talking about? He went through the validation to the camel, camel, camel. Like, what's this? What is he talking? Camel, camel, camel. What are you talking about? Right? Uh, episode 189 will break that all down for you. And really what it is, it's a process that I go through and I teach this to where you are going to not just look at the surface numbers, meaning you're not going to go through maybe Jungle Scout uh, or Amisuite, whatever you're using, you're not going to just use the tool and rely on that. You're going to then go over to a site called camelcamelcamel.com, which will allow you to see the history of that listing and that item. You'll be able to see the pricing. You'll be able to see the BSR, the best seller rank over the course of time, be able to see how long they've been selling. Then from there, we're going to go over to Google Trends. We're going to see if it's a trending uh, type of thing or if it's uh, maybe something that's seasonal. Like we're going to be able to cross-check all of these different things. And I do a video walkthrough showing that in episode 189. Uh, so theamazingseller.com forward slash 189. You can find that there. Uh, definitely go check that out if you're in the product research stage because I feel that that's a big thing that most people, um, they they just don't take it a step further and that there can, you know, it can help to make you feel a little bit more confident about that product that you're picking. Cause a lot of people are like, well, I don't want to pick a dud. Well do a little bit more digging and a little bit more history on that product. And then that can prevent that from happening. Now you bring up a great point. Number one, you said that you're looking at this one product, this one listing and the numbers all check out. You did, you, you ran it through those different filters that we talk about and that, that kind of like that validation period and it looked like it was good. But then you also notice that once you go to the page that they're running a limited time promo. So yes, boom, red flag. Like that's going to be a red flag to me. But what would you do next? Well, the next thing that I would do is I would want to see my competitors. There's got to be other people selling a similar product. I'm not going to bank my decision on one seller. I need to see that there's depth and demand with other sellers. So is there other sellers that are doing even half the sales of that first one because the BSR and the sales per month and all that stuff, if this company and business, uh, like you said, I think you said that they're, they're not that old either. So a lot of those sales are probably promotions. They're probably, you know, yes, the thing lists for, for $25, but they're selling it for $15. So their sales are up naturally, right? So that's where you can get uh, you can you can kind of get led down the wrong road. So then I would want to validate it against another listing or another seller and try to validate it through them. So you might want to use two or three different sellers to validate that there's history, that there's that there's depth, that there's demand, 
You want to look and see that, you know, they've been selling for longer than a month and a half, that they're not fluctuating their price up and down, like, you know, $9.95, like $20, $9.95, $20. You want to look at that stuff. And by going to the free tool, camelcamelcamel.com, you can check that stuff out. Uh, Google Trends again. Um, and then just, again, looking at the data inside of, of whatever tool you're using. So you want to cross-reference all of those. So I would say episode 189 for anyone that is thinking to themselves, like, I think I found it, right? And you, But you haven't ran it through this yet. You definitely want to run it through that. Uh, and I would say to you, Mike, go try to find a couple other sellers that are uh, selling the similar product so you can you can validate them, not just that one product because that to me would be a giant red flag if I was banking everything on them and then you go and you launch and you're like, okay, cool, I'm gonna sell this thing for $24.95 but then you find out that that other person, they sold a bunch for $14.95 and really the market's only gonna pay $14.95. Now you're kind of, uh, you're kind of out of luck there. So uh, I would definitely, definitely say try to find a couple other sellers that can validate those, uh, those sales and the price that you can sell it for. All right. So, uh, definitely go check that out guys though. Episode 189, I'll put it in the show notes to this episode, which is episode 313. So the amazing seller.com forward slash 313. All right, guys, I think I've got time for one more quick question and, uh, then we'll wrap this thing up. We'll let you guys get off and, uh, go do your thing, go out there and take some action. All right. So let's go ahead and listen to today's last question and I'll give you my answer. Hey, Scott, love your site. I had a question regarding reviewers. Um, people have been contacting me on Amazon regarding reviewing a product but placing it on their own blog. I'm wondering if I can communicate with them via Amazon or if that's outside the TOS um, in terms of marketing outside of Amazon. Thanks. Well, hey, Jen, thank you so much for the question. And you may be asking, how did I know your name? Well, because you left it in the email. So you forgot to add it in your message, which was only 19 seconds long. I think that might have been one of the shortest questions um, that I've received so far. But it's awesome because I know exactly what you need. So perfect. You just forgot your name. So anyway, Jen, thank you so much for the question. Thank you so much for being a listener. And yes, this is a great question. If you have people that are reaching out to you and they like your product and it's, it's, uh, you know, on Amazon, if they message you through Amazon, I would be very, very careful of mentioning anything of them reviewing your product or reviewing your product outside of Amazon. Like I would not go down that road. So if that's happening, I would stay away from it. That's me. That would be my, my down and dirty, like advice. Like that's it. Don't do it. Now, with that being said, you know, there may be a way that you could let them know to, you know, contact you another way. So this way here, you don't have any record going through the Amazon, you know, email notification, like messaging system, right? You don't want to do that. That that's where I would not want to have that done. And I'm not really quite sure how you could do that, uh, but that would be the only way that I would do that. And I'm not really sure that it's worth one or two people reaching out to you asking to review your product on a blog. Like, I don't know that that's going to really benefit you uh, for the risk of actually doing that through Amazon's, you know, messaging system. I personally don't think that getting a, a couple of reviews outside of there. I mean, if you want to do that, if you just want to get some reviews on other people's blogs, I would just go to Thomason and I would just, and I would go down that route and I would, I would make sure too that the Thomason people didn't even have to leave their review on, on Amazon. Like I wouldn't do that. I would just be like, 
I want to go out and get some outside reviewers and I want those people to just review it on their blog and that's it and just point their link to your Amazon listing. That's fine. They wouldn't even write the, uh, the, the review on Amazon. And some people might be thinking, well, Scott, why in the heck would you even want that? Well, if you find someone that is a legitimate, I'm doing air quotes, blogger that has a following and they mention your product in a review and then they point a link over to your listing, that could drive external traffic on your uh, listing, which could be a good thing, right? And if they give you an honest review on that, if obviously if they're reaching out to you, they love the product and they want to review it, that's great. Uh, another strategy would just be to reach out to YouTubers, right? And say to YouTubers like, hey, I've got this product. Uh, I was interested if you wanted to do a video review of it. I'd really love that. And don't ask them to go leave a review on Amazon. All you'd be doing is having them point a link to your Amazon listing and then uh, just leaving a video review. And that there in turn would bring you external traffic. Now, if that YouTuber is at all experienced, which if they have a pretty large following, they probably are, they probably have an Amazon Associates account, which is an affiliate for Amazon. So if they get sales through their link that they would provide, they could actually make six, seven, eight percent commission on pushing your product or, you know, letting people know about your product. So that's another way um, you can actually incentivize them to want to do it uh, because then they can push people over from their uh, their YouTube or their Instagram or wherever. And uh, they could also make seven or eight, nine. I don't think it's as much as nine. I think it's eight is the most. I'm not quite sure on the affiliate program for Amazon. But uh, yeah, you could totally, totally do that. So it's another option. Uh, but I would definitely, 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 one more definitely, definitely not communicate through Amazon's messaging system about them leaving a review or a review outside of Amazon uh, and then people could buy it outside of there. I just would not do it. I just would not, it would not even be worth it to me. So hopefully I got my point across. I would not do it. Uh, but anyway, thank you so much for the question. Hopefully that helped you or anyone else out there that's, uh, that's uh, having this happen or maybe thinking about uh, doing something like that. Definitely be careful on that. All right, guys. So this was a packed episode. There was a lot of great questions in here, and I really feel like we started this thing off with a bang, right? And what was that? Well, stay in the flow. I'm in the flow right now <laughs> with this episode. So let's let's close this thing down. I want you guys to, to get in the flow. If you're not in the flow, get in the flow. And that means get started, commit to something, and then work towards those results. But stay in the flow. Guys, if you want to ask a question, head over to theamazingseller.com forward slash ask. You guys know I love hearing from you. If you want to get the uh, show notes, the transcripts, all that stuff that we talked about, head over to theamazingseller.com forward slash 313. And uh, episode 189, I'll be linked up there too because I think that's a big one for you guys that are in product research. And uh, yeah, that's pretty much gonna wrap it up. So guys, have an awesome, amazing day. And remember, I'm here for you and I believe in you and I am rooting for you, but you have to, you have to. Come on, say it with me, say it loud, say it proud. Take action. Have an awesome, amazing day, night, weekend, whatever it is for you. And I'll see you guys right back here on the next episode.